0: Welcome to Writers' Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival. We're still dealing with the pandemic, so for the time being, we'll have to keep connected virtually, even as we maintain our distance. Our spring season runs until early June, and it's all available online at writersfestival.org, so all you need to do to connect with some of the world's most acclaimed authors is click play. We are broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. As always, I want to thank you for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. And if you've been able to make a donation to support the festival, I want to thank you for helping us to amplify creativity and to support the storytellers and thinkers who help us make sense of the world. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin Street, and wherever you are right now, there is an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast, and don't hesitate to recommend it to a friend. Today, we'll hear a conversation between two brilliant writers who are also great friends. Our host, Aousma Zayanat Khan has achieved huge success as a fantasy author with the Corazon Archives and also as a thriller writer with bestsellers like A Dangerous Crossing and A Dangerous Divide. She spoke with her friend Uzma Jalaluddin about her new novel, Carries On*. Uzma is a high school English teacher, a Toronto Star columnist, and a contributor to The Atlantic. Her debut, Aisha at Last, was a massive hit and was described as pride and prejudice with a modern twist. Here's their conversation on Hana Khan Carries On.
1: Congratulations on the launch of your new book,
2: Hana Khan Carries On. Are you feeling excited about it? I'm feeling so excited, and I'm also feeling a little bit scared because, as you know, this is my second novel, it's my sophomore debut, and uh, yeah, that's kind of terrifying. <laughs>
1: So, well, tell us a little bit more about your your sophomore novel. It's a, it's a you've got mail type of rom-com set in competing halal restaurants. But there's a lot more to the story.
2: Yes, as you well know. Uh, uh, Asma, uh, just so the reader uh, or the listener knows, Asma and I are good friends. And uh, we we will probably be alluding to our friendship quite a bit. But Asma read uh, many, many early drafts of the book. And I think I pitched the idea to you before I even started writing. Uh, so as you said, it is a, um, I'm pitching it as you've got mail set in rival halal Restaurants, And uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg where my books are concerned. I tend to have a lot of plot, big cast of characters. I love writing about different people in different situations. So in addition to the restaurant rivalry, which is at the heart of the story, it's also very much a love letter to uh, Scarborough, which is an East End neighborhood in Toronto. Uh, It involves a very close-knit neighborhood, uh, which is racialized, very diverse, uh, with a large Muslim population, and this uh, community is very tight-knit. So there's uh, the story takes place in what I'm calling, it's a fictional neighborhood called the Golden Crescent Neighborhood, and uh, the neighborhood is fronted by this, uh, the residential part of it is fronted by a commercial strip where there's a whole bunch of businesses, um, one of which is Hana Khan's. Family Restaurant, which is a halal Indian restaurant, and a new restaurant opens up on the strip uh, and they sort of go head to head. This neighborhood is um, very well established, but it 's struggling uh, there 's some gentrification that 's happening, and there 's other businesses that are sort of feeling uh, the the struggle as well as as new people move into the neighborhood. but the book itself really explores issues of identity. Uh, what does it mean to be part of this close-knit community? What do you owe the people in your family, in your neighborhood? Uh, and uh, some of the things that happen is that H- Hannah also, uh, she's the daughter of the restaurant owner. Her mother run, owns, uh, owns and runs the restaurant, but she is a hopeful broadcaster. So the fact that we're recording this for a podcast is very out because Hannah is a podcaster. She has a anonymous podcast, uh, which she calls Brown Girl Anna's Brown Girl Ramble, so it's anonymous, and she basically really explores issues of race and identity as a young Muslim, uh, woman growing up in Toronto as a daughter of second, uh, as the daughter of uh, immigrants from India. Uh, and there's a, later on, there's a hate attack on the neighborhood and she has to navigate that. And she feels very protective of her family. Of course, it's very scary. And in addition to that, she has a lot of, uh, challenges that she faces in her mostly white workplace. She interns at a radio station, And she has uh, a boss who uh, commits a lot of microaggressions against her, and she needs to navigate that as well. So Hannah has a lot going on in this book. Uh, She also has family who visit from India, and with them they bring sort of a mystery subplot that happens, which is a lot of fun. Um, So yeah, lots of things going on in my books. Uh, too many things.
1: <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. While, that all is, well, while all of that sounds fabulous and is fabulous, I especially love novels with a huge, sprawling cast of characters and <laughs> complex family relationships. One thing is missing from your description of the rom-com, and that's the hero of the that's story, right. or the male star. So tell us a little bit more about him.
2: Okay, so Aiden Shaw is the, the love interest, and he is the owner of the rival halal restaurant that opens up on the street. And he is around the same age as Hannah. They're both in their early 20s, uh, mid 20, early to mid-20s. Uh, and he is a mysterious, handsome young man who opens up this restaurant. And uh, in contrast to Hannah's mother's restaurant, she runs a an Indian restaurant, so selling Indian food. Um, Aiden decides to open up sort of what I'm terming a hipster halal place. So they serve American <laughs> American-style food. Uh, you know your classic uh, diner, retro diner, uh, but art- artisanal burgers and shakes and poutine, as well as steaks and um, ribs and things like that. So very much American fare that appeals to the the changing demographic of their neighborhood so that's one of the things i I wanted to explore in this book is the way that successive waves of immigrants especially when you know they they arrive they have children their children grow up they have children the way that their tastes sort of change so this in this neighborhood uh you have second and third generation immigrants who are now growing up and they they don't want the necessarily to eat out at like an indian restaurant they want to go and try different types of halal cuisine so, sure. And, and yeah. I think
1: this might be the first time that we've seen in fiction the phrase hipster halal, which is really great. <laughs> Thank you. But am, am I right in thinking that uh, Aiden, as you've depicted him, isn't the kind of guy who would coin that phrase himself?
2: No, definitely not. He is like Hannah. He loves he, he, he's driven by passion. So for him, he uh, has a very close relationship to food. Food reminds him of his uh, his mother who passed away when he was very young. And he he comes from a family that is very wealthy. So this is a very different from Hannah. Hannah is very much has working class roots. Her her parents have struggled uh, throughout their entire lives in Canada. But Aiden comes from sort of a a tycoon family, a family of industrialists. His father, uh, who ends up being the villain of the novel, uh, is 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 a figure who very much wants his son to follow in his footsteps, um, and. They have a sprawling empire called Shaw Industries, but Aiden wants none of that. He wants to make his own mark, like Hannah. He wants to try his hand. It's a new business. And what he is inspired and passionate about is food. So he opens up his uh, his diner on the opposite end of the country because his family hails from uh, BC, from Vancouver. And he moves to Toronto and opens up this restaurant, which he calls Holistic Grill. And there are immediate sparks with Hannah. Uh I I love the trope of uh, enemies to lovers, and this is where I'm headed with these two characters. They don't like each other in the beginning, but there's an unmistakable attraction and really a friendship, I think, that grows over the course of the book.
1: Well, now that you've mentioned that, the attraction between these two characters, and let me tell you... Listeners, this is a pretty sizzling romance. <laughs> Muslim, Muslim romance is typically quite chaste, yet there's an underlying layer of sensuality in Aiden and Hannah's encounters that's really difficult for a writer to pull off and particularly for a Muslim writer to pull off. How do you create these spicy less is more romantic
2: scenes? Oh, my God. Well, I think that as an observant Muslim woman myself, that's basically the basis of all of my (laughs) my dating history has been less is more. (laughs) And uh, I I think what or none is more, (laughs) more, actually, I should say. (laughs) And I think this is just even when I when I wrote Aisha at last, I knew that my main characters were barely going to touch. And it's the same case in uh, Hannah Khan carries on. But there is a, a deep well of romance that exists between these two characters, but they never hop into bed together and I'm I'm writing romance but I guess I'm writing it within the genre of what they call sweet romance so it's it's very much rated uh G or even PG uh if, if you like but um the main characters don't get very physical with each other at all there's a little bit more in Hannah Hahn carries on but certainly um very tame by most uh, romance novel standards and I decided to do that because I'm really interested in the build-up like the best part of romance novels to me is of watching the two characters fall in love the small gestures the looks the the restrained sensuality of that is really what interests me um when they finally kiss or they finally hop into bed together I think that's great too but I I know I know that for me as a writer the tension comes from the build-up that leads to uh them finally admitting them their feelings to each other and I and I think romance is really so much of it is in your mind right it's it's the the conversations you have the realization it's it's so much about your own personal discovery of who you want in your life and why uh, that leads to the tension and the ratchet, ratcheting kind of emotions I want my readers when they're reading my books to be like oh my god you are both into each other <laughs> just admit it already uh, I think that's so fun
1: <laughs> and and that that's absolutely what spanned a giant universe of fan fiction too people imagining where romance will take their favorite characters in novels Um, What draws you to writing romantic comedy set in the Muslim community? And then how do you put
2: your own unique spin on them? Such a good question. Um, I think I'm drawn to romance because I love reading romance. So I I, I come come to this genre as a fan. But the other reason is, you know, and Asma, you know this, as, as Muslim writers, we just don't get to see Muslim characters in having their happy endings, having their... Stories that don't revolve around trauma or some sort of toxic relationship in their life, some sort of dysfunction. And I just feel the loss of that so much. Like growing up, I really enjoyed reading all of the classic uh, romantic comedies, all of the classic romance and women's fiction, uh, from all the way from Jane Austen to, um, I don't know, Helen Fielding and Sophie Kinsella, Meg Cabot, I could, I could name so many writers, but I never, I very rarely saw books that depicted South Asian characters or Muslim characters in a way where they had agency, uh, where their culture and their faith, if they, they were observant in any faith, was respected. Um, And instead, they had to give it all up and sort of you know, embrace a Western idea that was completely outside of their own sense of identity. And I thought, I know so many Muslims, me personally, I know so many Muslims, and I'm sure you do too, who have had such amazing romantic stories. And maybe they look a little bit different, maybe their origins are a little bit different, but they are no less valid. Where are these stories in, um, in English? I know they're being written in uh, Urdu and you know uh, in Arabic and all these other languages, but where are they in English? And we deserve our happy endings too. So, uh, my first novel, Aisha at Last, I have a, I have a character who's very observant. He, he does he's never had a girlfriend, uh, and you know, and yet he falls in love in this complete in uh, in this complete way with uh, with the character Aisha. And in my second novel, Hannah and Aiden, their friendship is starts off with, uh, you know, they don't like each other in the beginning. And then they 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 learn to grow closer and respect each other. And they have an unmistakable spark of attraction between them. And I wanted to show I've had so many fan letters from readers who say, thank you for writing this. You know, whether they are Muslim or not, I've never seen my culture or my my identity represented in this way. I think there's just so many different paths to love and I hope more writers will be writing our stories.
1: So true to hear and and I think we're seeing that in so many different genres of fiction now that representation is coming to the page and we're able to tell a whole variety of stories instead of fitting into one specific narrative but now that you've brought up Aisha at last your debut novel which was a complete smash do you have a favorite hero? Is it Khalid from Aisha, or is it Aiden from <laughs> Hannah Khan Carries On? Oh my and God! <laughs> let me ask a little bit more first. The male characters you write are deeply sensitive and caring when it comes to the women in their lives. So first, who's your favorite, and second, why is it important for you to depict them this way?
2: Oh Lord, uh, let me think. So uh, Khalid is very gentle, and I I purposely had the contrast between his personality and the stereotype of the way that he dresses. So he wears a long white robe, like a thobe he wears a skull cap, he has a long beard. And I, I, I purposely made him dress like this even on the daily basis when he's going to work because I was playing with the issue of appearance and identity. Aiden, on the other hand, uh, doesn't dress like that at all. He, he's mostly depicted as wearing like black t-shirts and jeans. He walks around with these silver shaded sunglasses that he loves. Um, and yet he's also very faithful. And I, I I did that on purpose I wanted to show the two different types of heroes where the clothing doesn't necessarily matter uh and if I had to pick a favorite I don't know if I could uh Asma they're they're just so different but I I love them both equally I think they're both you know no 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 that's
1: a cop-on I want a real (laughs) answer (laughs) I mean I love Aiden and I love his deeply conflicted past and his personal trauma but there's just something I can't believe so you're doing this. A- appealing about Khalid that I, I just can't get over because I guess I've
2: never seen a character like him in fiction yeah I, I would agree I think that uh if I had to pick a favorite it would be Khalid. uh he was the first character that um that appeared in a book that I published so I think there's a little bit of uh you know nostalgia there like he was my first main hero and you're absolutely right. Uh, a character like Khalid, never, I've never, i never seen him before in fiction. Someone who's so unapologetically Muslim, so clueless, and so he's so Mr. Darcy, and who doesn't love Mr. Darcy? So if I had to pick someone, it would be Khaled. Uh But Aiden is a very close second.
1: Yes, because after all, every girl is crazy <laughs> about a sharp-dressed man, and we can certainly say that for Aiden with his tinted sunglasses and sleek outfits. Yes. Um, so in Aisha, sorry, in Hannah Khan carries on, what's your favorite scene in the story?
2: Yeah, I was thinking about this question. My favorite scene in the story. So there's, uh, there's a scene that actually it, it starts off great, but then it some you know something horrible happens at the end of it. But the the sequence of action is basically when Hannah uh, is coerced by her cousin Rashid, uh, a teenager who is visiting from India, to to go sightseeing. And so she goes sightseeing and Aiden uh, accompanies them. And it, this is the first time that the two main characters really try to sort of spend the day together. Uh, and the, the day takes sort of a disastrous turn as it continues. I want to add spoilers, but there's a couple of really sweet moments. And I, I love this in romantic fiction when the two main characters finally start talking to each other and sharing with each other and start being vulnerable. And I felt like this was really happening during this scene. It was—I remember writing it so distinctly. Um, one of the fun things about this scene for me was uh, setting it in downtown Toronto, which you know is the city that I live in. I've grown up in. I've lived here all my life, and I incorporate the CN Tower and the aquarium downtown, and sort of little uh little details that were really fun to, to write about. So I, I enjoyed writing the scene a lot. Uh and I enjoyed the the way that it it's developed the relationship between Aiden and Hannah a lot too.
1: Yeah, I, I have to admit I never thought of the CN Tower as a romantic place <laughs> until I read your book. And then I was like, yes, I will forever think of <laughs> Hannah and Aiden at this landmark and view it differently now. So that's all, exactly all jo- what I wanted to do. <laughs> all joking aside, your book also has some very serious underlying themes, such as. Uh, The characters experiencing or speaking about different manifestations of Islamophobia. And that could be the casual racism that Hannah experiences from her boss when she's trying to put together a podcast she's interested in versus the podcast that her boss thinks she should create. Uh, All the way to confrontations with attackers who crash a community food festival. So does some types do the lighter types of Islamophobia fit more easily to the romance genre and how do you balance the comedy and lightness and romance in your book with these deeper themes?
2: I see that I, when, when I sit down sat down to write Hannah Khan carries on the, the first of all my first step in drafting is always outlining uh, so I knew that all of these big events were coming and one of the things that I, I always try to incorporate in my books uh, is trying to balance the the the, the whole way that I exist in the world, you know, and, and I think so many people of color can, can relate to this, um, uh, people of color and, and, you know, as, as someone who's, who's a practicing Muslim, I wear hijab as well. I, I, am always so aware of the fact that when I move in the world, you know, hopefully things will go good for me, go well for me, but sometimes they won't. And I can't necessarily control that. So what I try to capture in my books is that sense of being completely comfortable in your space, but also being very aware of your surroundings and how things can change in a flash. And that's, that's what happens in Hanukkah. You're almost halfway through the book before all of a sudden something happens. And that's real life, uh, for a lot, especially for people who are, uh, marginalized in some way, racialized in some way, um, you could be living your life and then something happens. You're, And oftentimes you're just not prepared for it because you can't constantly live your life on edge. So Hannah Khan, as you said, um, experiences microaggressions from her boss at work, uh, from the whole structure of the radio station. Uh, and I wanted to include that type of daily micro-aggression, racism, discrimination, as well as the sort of, um, the hate, the hate-motivated attack that happens in her neighborhood and, you know, and somewhere else as well. Um, because I wanted to show the extremes of it. You know, the, the hate attack is, uh, is this horrible event that derails Hannah and Eden and their families and really, really shakes them. But it's also only, uh, a really obvious sign of hate. Uh, whereas the small, uh, chipping away at uh, chipping away of Hannah's self confidence is what what really shakes her at work. She starts off at this radio station. She's an intern. She has all of these amazing ideas. Uh, she feels like she can make a difference. She can add a much needed voice to her radio station environment. And yet she is um, over and over again, she's undermined. She doesn't have any allies. Um, She's given very little opportunity for advancement, even though she's eager and, you know, actively seeking um, ways to develop herself as a storyteller. And yet all of her ideas are shot down constantly. And so that really shakes her sense of self in a way that the, the big scale hate attack doesn't. Because she knows what side she she should be on, she knows she's very sure of herself, she knows that this is wrong, and she needs to stand up for it. Uh, but I think sometimes as as I can only speak for myself as a Muslim and as a the daughter of immigrants, it's those subtle things that you sometimes don't even realize uh, that can really leave you thinking about it for years later on and that leads me to ask
1: you that I sense in the in the novel several times that Hannah is simply weary, wearied by these daily incursions into her sense of self. And I wonder how much of that as well is drawn from real life. Does it become wearying or exhausting to fight the same battle day after day in different ways?
2: Oh, definitely. And and I think, Asma, we've talked about this before Uh, as as creators and and we are there are so few of us. Right. There are so few Muslim writers. I mean, our numbers are growing, which are fantastic. Uh, But so few of us writing in this space and um, trying to tell stories that are set in North America or uh, while still honoring where we come from and our identities, uh, it can get exhausting. And I, I feel like all I mean, I've written two novels, and both of them have had really deep rooted themes. And in fact, a lot of readers have commented like, oh, I, I felt like I, I got a romantic story, but I also learned something. And I'm always so aware of that, like, how am I going to present the Muslim characters, knowing that, in some cases, my readers have never met a Muslim or have not really interacted with a South Asian person before. Uh, there's a burden uh, to that that can be quite uh, wearying, as you put it. It can be exhausting to constantly be fighting these battles. But I also realize that I'm privileged to be able to do so. I've been given a voice and a platform, and I want to use it to, to help. Uh, I'm, I'm all for just, you know, furthering the, the, the conversation, promoting empathy. I think that's key, really, to uh, greater goodness and kindness in the world.
1: Absolutely. And and to give the audience full disclosure, Usma and I are critique partners for each other's work in the drafting stages. And I often challenge Usma to open up her heroines and let us see what they're thinking and feeling. So can we turn this into a craft question? And can you tell us a little more about your process and what some of the challenges are for you in creating these unique voices who you want to shape simply as characters on the page, but who are also carrying maybe some of the burdens of real life in them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No. So, uh, yeah. So as my, first of all, I have to give uh, f- full props to you. You're such a great critique partner. Uh, I'm always very grateful to, to have you reading my work and giving you my feedback. And yes, one of the things that strangely enough, I struggle with, and I think every writer has something that they're, they're just, they're, it just comes a little bit more difficult uh, with, with more pain than other parts of the writing process Uh, I'm a drafter. So oftentimes, I'll have an idea, I'll outline, I'll, I'll outline it, I storyboard it, and I think I know exactly what I'm headed to. I have character sketches, I have lots of details. But then when I write down the entire draft, oftentimes, the story will fall apart in a few key areas. And one of the things, strangely enough, that I struggle with is my depiction of female leads. I don't know why. Um, And I'm sure there's some deep-rooted reason, Uh, but uh, Aisha, for instance, is the reason why the novel took took me so long to write. I couldn't get her right. I had all of these other characters who were really interesting and who were carrying themselves appropriately on the page, but Aisha just wasn't carrying her weight. And so the novel, as a result, took eight years to draft because I just kept rewriting and rewriting Aisha in particular. And uh, I think the same thing happened with Hannah, but I was on more of a deadline. So I did it a little bit faster. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, de- the deadline the is deadline. always key to the writing process. <laughs> it, it
2: totally is. You know that something is due. And Asma, you and I are both like uh, very good at meeting our deadlines. So uh, so Hannah Khan um, was, is a very different character than Aisha. Uh, Aisha is a little bit older. Hannah Khan is younger. She's in her early 20s and she acts very much like a young 20something um, you know the book takes place around 2017 so uh, a very much a young person of her time and I and it was it was very challenging for me to sort of capture that youthful energy while also giving her so many of these problems that I think young people are facing especially a young Muslim woman living in Toronto uh, during you know tw- think of 2016 2017 if we can remember that far back Um she wants to know, She she's wondering who she is, where she's headed in terms of uh, her professional career. She has her family who is under enormous strain. Her father was disabled in a car accident many years ago, or sorry, two years before the book opens. Uh, her mother is basically responsible for the financial well-being of the family, and her restaurant is struggling. Uh, she has personal difficulties with uh, the trials she's experiencing at her job at the radio station. And she's at that... She's she's almost at that place in her life where, you know, the book is almost like a, even though the character's not 12, the character, the book is almost like a buildings roman where she's at that peak of uh, about to, you know, I'm almost, I'm done school. Now what, where am I headed? Uh, and that took a while. Like it took me, I think three or four drafts to really capture her voice, to really uh, drill down into who Hannah is as a person. She's feisty, she's sparky, she's she, uh, I think, uh, Asma, in one of your critique notes, you said that you love that she feels sorry for herself, but then she picks herself right back up and keeps going. And I wanted someone who was just pragmatic. She knows that things will be harder for her. She knows that in order to achieve success in the realm that she has set herself to achieve success, which is uh, a non-traditional career for a lot of uh, South Asians, a lot of children of immigrants, the arts, right? She's a storyteller hmm. She, that she's going to be facing a lot of trials and tribulations. And I, I thought that that could be that would be a really interesting sphere to explore. Uh, and personally, as, as an artist myself, I know that I'm always aware that I am I, fighting an uphill battle. I think we all are. Uh, but we just keep going and doing the work and hoping for the best. I don't know if I answered your question.
1: I feel like I didn't. I, I, no, you did. You definitely did. But but then let me ask you this question, now that you've told us a little bit about your process and how you think about your heroines. Given that each of your books um, is titled with the heroine's name, and you kind of see that she center stage and it's her story. And yet when you read them, you really see that it's actually the story of two people. So do you start with conceptualizing the hero or the heroine of your story first, and what qualities do you think are essential in each? Uh,
2: the first novel took a really long time to write, and I feel like the thing that kept me going was Khalid, and um, I was just fascinated with him as a character, as a, uh, a, a as a as a Muslim man, because I, I feel like Muslim men are so rarely represented on the page and on the screen, and when they are, they if if they are uh, observant in any way, they're very much. Um, their, their faith defines them usually in some kind of a toxic, dysfunctional manner. Uh, you know, they're being recruited somewhere or they're radicalized or anything like that. Right. They're yeah. either terrorists or wife beaters or both. Exactly. Exactly. And... uh I knew that with Khalid, that wasn't going to be his story. That has nothing to do with it. He, he is an observant Muslim man, but he, that's just one aspect of his personality that, that informs so much of the way he behaves and all that. But really, I wanted to show him falling in love. And um, when... Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs>
1: Do you conceptualize the hero or the heroine first, right.
2: yeah. and then what qualities do you think are essential in each? Okay, that's right. So, so when I thought about Khalid, I knew that he is going to be a gentle man, uh, someone who is very respectful of women, uh, and someone who is, you know, s- feels uh, an immense responsibility to be there for his mother, even though she's she's quite. Um, a personality and character that can be hard to take, and is quite controlling in his life. Uh, and I knew that he was looking for love uh, in all of its forms. So he wanted to be closer to his sister. He wanted to figure out who he was. He wanted to fall in love with Aisha. And so I, he he was the first character that I realized in my head um when I thought about writing Aisha at last. Hannah Khan, on the other hand, was the first character who appeared in my mind when I started thinking about this story. Aiden materialized much later but i knew that i wanted to write about a young woman who as i said was on the brink of uh entering real adulthood you know not being in school not not having any of those um you know repercussions sorry uh having any of those pursuits really like on the on the cusp of entering her her adult years was a 24-year-old turning 25. And so I was really interested in in her as a as a uh as an artist, as a storyteller. She does podcasts and, and Aiden um was I needed someone who would be a good foil to that. So Aiden is very much a uh, a businessman. He's a corporate person. He comes from a family of business people. And uh, Hannah in contrast is sort of an idealist. She loves to um rail against um, the things that other people might feel are very important in a capitalist society, so she's a little bit of a she's a rebel in the best possible way. she likes to shake things up and she's an activist as well uh but so
1: she's a rebel with a cost
2: <laughs> that's right Susan. I had to say it I was saving it up <laughs> she is. <laughs> Yeah, that's so true.
1: So you've told us a little bit about um, being an artist uh, in a community where being an artist is not typically one of the career paths that we follow. But tell us a little bit more about that. How do you balance the challenges of a full time job as a teacher raising a family, writing a regular column for the Toronto Star called Samosas and Maple Syrup, and then you still have the creative energy to spare for writing novels. How does that
2: all fit together? It doesn't. Asma, you know I work all the time. You do too. <laughs> <laughs> There's <no> Workaholics. Work... <laughs> <laughs> We're workaholics. Uh, there is no work-life balance. Um, we basically, I, I mean, and I, I, I can only speak for myself here, but I know you quite well, so I know you do this too. We, we work all the time. We're always thinking about um, creating writing editing uh, promoting marketing and on top of that uh, as you said I, I have uh, I, I have a, a job uh, that I do on the daily basis I'm a, I'm a high school teacher a job I really enjoy and love um, but yeah I, I feel like and I think we've talked about this in the past as well um, I'm at the point where I want to really embrace uh, this person that I'm developing into and I and I, I'm I feel like I'm learning uh, learning and growing as a writer, um, I want each book that I write to be better than the one before, to be more interesting and ha- explore different issues and themes than the one that came before. Uh, and I'm, I'm unapologetic uh, in the ambition that I have for myself. I want to keep producing and to creating and to keep creating, uh, partly because I see such a real need for it in our community. I feel like, uh, especially living in Canada, the the Canadian Muslim voice has oftentimes been stifled or ignored and if i can get a foot in there and um contribute in some way to to create and tell positive uplifting real authentic stories about muslims i want to be able to do that i want to, i want to make i want to make the most of the opportunities that i've been given that i've been blessed with so that's partly it. And so I think that really drives me. That drives me to, you know, uh, I always joke that I have the first shift, which is when I teach. And then I have the afternoon shift, which is often when I am dealing with the administration of um, the, my writing job. Uh, and then I have my evening shift where I I work on writing. Uh, but it is really challenging. I think sometimes the more you progress as a writer, you're um, creative process is often sidelined by all of the other things that are involved in writing like right now I'm launching Hena Khan carries on, which is out April sixth in Canada very exciting and um and and that requires a lot of uh, coordination and administration. I have a lot of emails to answer, and sometimes um it's it's struggle to try to find time to just be able to be creative. So oftentimes that gets pushed to, to weekends, uh, evenings, and um, school holidays.
1: So let's, um, let's talk about ambition a little more. I'm interested in a few things that you've said in your answer. One is that we both come from South Asian backgrounds and South Asian cultures are typically very family oriented, um, and also quite conservative. So there's many demands on your time apart from your work life and feminists, talk about a first shift and a second shift, but South Asians almost feel like they have a third, fourth, and fifth shift as well with the other responsibilities that I think women like us take for granted and don't try to get out of because it's just what we've always seen and always known. But how do you weigh that sort of cultural environment against personal ambition to do something bold and unique and to strive to reach a level we maybe haven't reached yet?
2: Oh, God, Asma, we need to have an entire lecture series about this. (laughs) Uh, It's, uh, man, these questions are amazing. You should, like, take the show on the road. We should take a show on the road, Asma. (laughs) Remember,
1: we have a podcast, but it's not nearly as brainy as this. (laughs) Our podcast that we're dreaming of is called Usma and Asma drool over male characters in novels. (laughs) 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 But getting back to a much more serious question, go ahead. Tell tell me about your ambition.
2: (laughs) Uh, So... You know, I think I, I've been thinking about this a lot. In fact, I think this is going to be one of the main themes of um, my third novel, which I, I'm starting, but uh, I, I haven't made a lot of headway into it yet. Uh, but I, I've just been, you know, going on this journey. I, I've I've been teaching for years. Um, but the minute I, I added writer, uh, published author to my description of my job, all of a sudden I realized how difficult it is to break into an industry like this and how much work and single-minded, um, uh, sort of, uh, sorry, focus. Yeah, that's a good word. Single-minded focus that this requires. Um, and the other thing it really is contingent on is the support of my family. As you said, we come from South Asian cultures, which are extremely family focused. I have a large extended family And, you know, in pre-COVID times, we would get together quite frequently. My weekends were basically taken up by visiting my parents, by visiting my in-laws, by, um, you know, organizing or participating in big family dinners with my large extended family. And then on top of that, trying to keep up with friends, uh, as well as my writing career. So and that
1: doesn't even include wedding season, which is up to a whole other level.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm glad that most of my friends are now married. And then there was like a a Kika season and then there was like second wedding season. (laughs) So all. All of these different things and are, are, are such pulls on our time I I can again I can only speak for myself but I, I I don't know how I I I would get all of this stuff done if I didn't have a family that uh, a supported my dreams um, in the sense that my husband is very helpful in the house uh, my, my children are older Um, If I had babies, I don't know how I would be doing this. I probably wouldn't. In fact, I wasn't because I was writing, but I wasn't, you know, publishing when my children were younger. Um, The other thing that I think we just have to realize is that we have to put this, we have to make this a priority for ourselves and our family will um accepted eventually uh or my <clears throat> excuse me my uh my, my younger son for instance he's uh he still requires a lot of attention uh but when the door is closed and I tell him listen I'm on deadline I have to get some stuff done he might not like it but he has to put up with it because I've decided that this is a priority and I still slip and you know do too much you know like i'm I'm planning a launch party right now, and I think I've sent a smile like a dozen emails already uh <laughs> and I need to stop and let other people help me pick up that burden but it's it's really hard not to fall into the trap of trying to do it all. I think it's important as as uh, as women who are trying to make waves and uh be pioneers in a new industry uh to put limits on the time that we can that we have available for others it's in it's it's incredibly difficult, and I know everyone's situation is. Uh, is not the same, but one of the things that I do is I just, you know, if I'll, I'll, when I could, I would leave the house and I would say, "Look, don't bug me. I'm going to go write for two hours." Or, my kids and my husband know that when I'm in the office, you know, try not to uh, interrupt me, even though they do. Um, but then I, I encourage them to, you know, move along uh, and figure things <laughs> out for themselves.
1: <laughs> exactly. I used to have a phone message on my phone where I would say. These are my writing orders. I will be hours. I will not be answering the phone during these hours because I was. Always on call for my family, and that worked pretty well for a while. Then my father became ill, so I became nervous. And then I told my mother, "No, you can call any time of the day in case it's something is up with Dad." But yeah, 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 if we don't guard our creative
2: time, it's very difficult to produce something that we're proud of. Mm -hmm. But you know, aside from that, as my I'm always really aware of like the the privilege that I have of having you know not not just having supportive family, you know, or maybe family that I've trained to be supportive because I'm just like, well, this is who I am. Deal with it. Um, But You know, how many voices are stifled because they don't have this, right? Mm -hmm. Because we do come from these cultures that are so uh, put so much pressure, I think, on women in particular uh, to be the nurturers, to do that. What is that word? Um, When women are responsible for the social lives of their families? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I don't know it either. I just know I've lived it. <laughs> <laughs> it's our existence. Um, you know, we, we are we are the heart of, of families, right? We make sure that everyone gets along and we, we smooth through transitions. We support our aging family. Like you said, your father's sick and Um, you know, I have, I have situations like that in my family and, and the burden very much falls on us. And as a result, sometimes our dreams are left to the wayside and, or we won't have time to pursue them until we're much older. And I I can say that that's the case for me. While I started writing, I shut last, for instance, in my, uh, in my twenties, it wasn't published until my late thirties. And that was the reason because, um, I had to make sure that I was, you know, Doing thing, the other things like my kids needed my attention. They were young at the time. Um, It's it's interesting, right? Like, what do you give up? What do you, what what do you focus on and when? And I think for women, we are. um, Time can be such tyrant in our lives in a way that I think men don't experience in the same way. I don't know.
1: Well, given that you've said that you've had to delay some of the things that you've wanted to do. And almost now you're running to catch up. Yes. Where does your ambition take you in the future? What challenges do you still want to tackle that you haven't yet done in future books or projects?
2: So my next novel is going to be about, uh, exploring the themes of female ambition, specifically within the lens of the South Asian, uh, South Asian culture, as well as Muslim culture. Uh, and, um, I'm really excited about it. I I, I think it's really funny and uh, heartfelt, and I, I'm, you know, I'm very much in the early days of drafting it, but I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, another project that I'm doing is uh, I've written a play for the Silk Road Institute, which is uh, a community and cultural institute in Canada, and hopefully at, once COVID is done, we'll be able to move forward with that and um, work on production, which is very exciting. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think after my third third romantic comedy, I'd love to explore different genres. I'm not sure what yet, maybe literary fiction, maybe mystery and detective fiction. So Asma, I'll be asking you for some tips there because you are the master. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to keep writing and creating. I'm, I'm always so grateful for all, all the opportunities that I have, but I also want to pivot and try to make some of those opportunities and find them for myself. Um, I, I know that I want to just keep telling the stories from my community and uh, hope they find new and greater audiences.
1: I have no doubt that they will. But speaking of your community, one fun question I have to ask you is, okay. is, there, is there really such a dish as biryani cookie? <laughs> and if there is, what would you rate it on a scale of one to ten?
2: Okay, so biryani poutine is a dish that appears in Hannah Han Carries On. Uh, it is Hannah's favorite dish, and it is, a, it is a dish that her mother's restaurant used to serve until it was banned because everyone complained about it. And the reason why is because it is a dish that no one should be eating, but everyone seems to want to after they read my book. Uh, So poutine is a regional Canadian Quebecois dish, uh, which is just French fries, gravy topped with cheese curds. And biryani is a sort of a casserole made with uh, fragrant rice and marinated meat, meat that's been marinated in yogurt and um, Indian spices like... uh, Gar masala and things like that. Uh, and then it's topped with saffron and onions and things like that. It's delicious. But biryani poutine is biryani and then layered with poutine on top of it. So it's this weird rice, fries, meat, gravy, <laughs> cheese. Cra- it's, it's about 10,000
1: calories as well.
2: <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and uh, it is not a thing. I made it up. I thought it would be funny to combine. Uh, This very quintessential South Asian dish, biryani is very popular across the South Asian subcontinent, and then this very, very Canadian dish, Um, but who knows, maybe I'll spark a a food trend.
1: Well, if you were, if we were able to do your launch party in person, I would insist that you serve it oh, to all your guests. definitely,
2: definitely. I think, you know what, it's funny, after my, my husband always reads my early drafts, so when he read an early draft of the book, he actually uh, had, uh, he, 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 I had made biryani, and we bought poutine, so he combined the two, and he ate it, and I was horrified, but he said it was really good, so I think he would rate it probably an 8 out of 10. I oh, excellent. I don't know how good it is. I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. I should probably try it. <laughs> well, everyone, Hannah Khan
1: carries on, is published on April 6th. And you can find, Usma, tell us where we can
2: find you on social media. So I'm on Twitter at Uzma Writes. You can also find me on in Instagram. It's my full name at Usma Jalaladin, And uh, you can always find updates and fun facts about FAQs about me on my website at UsmaJalaluddin.com. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with me.
1: It's been great getting together with you again.
0: That was Ausma Zayanat Khan in conversation with Uzma Jalaluddin on her latest novel, Hana Khan, Carries On. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. Your financial support will allow us to continue to bring you the world's most interesting authors and thinkers. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubay. Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm your host, Sean Wilson. I want to thank the Ottawa Public Library, the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, and the CBC for their ongoing support. And thank you for listening.